We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yo, before we start, I want to remind everyone listening to the audio version, please go download the show from earlier on Monday, even if you don't want to listen to it. I don't really care about that. Just please go download it. Got to keep those numbers up at a critical time of the season as we buy some more ads for next season. We need to get that money. Help us out on this one. All right. Thanks. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 Houston Open DraftKings Picks Bets Full Preview. If you're looking for the cheat sheet, it will come out on Wednesday for DraftKings Picks on DKNation.com. Additionally, if you're looking for the betting cheat sheet, that will be released Tuesday evening in the Mayo Media Newsletter. So subscribe to the Mayo Media Newsletter. It's in the description, completely free to join. It just gets, boom, sent to you. And it has this early link for the spread pick show as well, which you probably want to do. Help me out and sub to Mayo Media Network. We're almost at 30,000 subs, and we'd like to get there soon-ish. It's been a while, actually. We really stalled on that front. Need your help on that one. Smash the like button to the episode. Give me your two favorite bets this week for the Houston Open. Oh, I'm sorry, the Hewlett-Packard Enterprise Houston Open. Sorry, Jean-Luc Picard. We're just going to call it the Houston Open this week, okay? Andy Lack is on the line joining me right now. Since the last time that you've been on, you've, like, upgraded in the world. You've gone on, you've leveled up, like, eight times. Tell everyone about your brand-new job. First of all, Pat, thanks so much for having me on. I owe, I've always said this to you and, and Rick Gaiman for the matter too. I, I owe a lot of my success to you guys. You guys kind of gave me the blueprint and have been great guys to have in my corner along the way. So I really appreciate all the, all the help that you've provided with me and the, the advice that you've given me along the way. And yeah, man, I, I just started over at the score about, uh, three weeks ago now, and I'm still kind of getting the hang of everything. It's a lot, uh, 
it's a lot more responsibility that I'm used to, but uh, it is fantastic and it's a ton of fun and it it kind of just proves and you do a good job talking about this and kind of, you've talked about this a bunch with like Davis before and in your life advice segments. If you grind and if you put in the time in and just continue to bet on yourself, there are a lot of opportunities in this space. There are. The issue is there's a lot of people, I mean, <clears throat> A, thank you very much for crediting Rick and I. We will both be taking 15% of your pay. Um, so, <laughs> sorry. Uh, number two is there's a lot of people who grind out there, but they're no good, so that's not going to help them either. Like, you need to at least have a modicum of self-awareness to know that if you're actually doing this well or not. Now, you actually do things really well, uh, so, you know, you grinding leads to a lot of big opportunities, but I do see people out there that just aren't good, uh, but they grind really hard, and that's not really going to lead you to much, so... Trying to have some sort of self-criticism of, hey, am I actually good at this is really important as well, I think. I completely agree. I mean, I would never, I got a bunch of DMs asking me if they thought that they should quit their job now because of what happened with me. And I, I don't want that blood on my hand. I don't really want to be the guy that tells you to do that, say. I do think that, what we are doing in terms of golf betting content. I think golf betting is only on the rise. I mean, I think people are trying to, people are starting to understand that it's a wildly ridiculous and fun sport to bet on and a wildly and ridiculous fun sport to play DraftKings in. So I do think that um, there are, it is going to continue to rise, but you have to have that passion. You can't just work hard. You're right. Well, let's talk about the Houston Open. It is the second year at Memorial Park Golf Course. Uh, played a little bit tough last year. King Carlos Ortiz won it. He almost cashed me an 80-1 to 1 winner last week, but I had to settle for some each way, full each-way payouts on Neiman and Ortiz, which made it a pretty nice week, although it just would have been nice to be like Feinberg and have a Hovland by three 75-1 bet. That would have been nice, I suppose, but here we are at 7,421 yards as a par 70 uh, second year at the course, Bermuda grass greens, longish for a par 70, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so a lot of long irons coming into play, 175 plus, 200 plus is really where I'll be hammering down for my stats. What type of player are you looking for this week? I'm with you. I think the first thing that kind of stood out to me is that eight of the par fours measure over 440 yards. Three of them measure over 500 yards. They have five par threes here and three par fives and three of the par threes are quite long as well. So I definitely think that you're on the right track with, with long iron play and, and maybe some, I think distance is going to help here. I wouldn't call this a bomb and gouge course by any means, but I did see that the average driving distance here was around 296 yards compared to the tour average of 282, which basically shows me that players are hitting driver here a lot. So I think if you have some length off the tee, um, some great long iron play. And then obviously these are faster Bermuda greens. I'm really excited for this. I think it's going to be a little bit different. Um, it's obviously going to be a much harder test than what we've seen um, so far on the fall swing, which will be a nice changeup. I think the cut last year was plus three. The cut was plus three. Ortiz ended up winning uh, with Hideki and Dustin tied for second. Ortiz actually ran those guys. He ran down Dustin going into the final day, which was just glorious to see. Uh, then I think Dustin went out and won the Masters the next week, because I think that's the how next it... Week, yeah. or, he, or he won it the week before. I forget how it actually went with the schedule, but this was either the week before or the week after. I think it was the week, week before. before. Yeah, yeah, week before. Gucci Man was fourth, and then you had Brooks and Seb Straka tied for fifth. Sammy Burns, Mac Hughes, Tyrrell Hatton, Jason Day, Shane Lowry... 
Kazire, because of course it was in Texas, so of course he came inside the top 20. Essentially, if you were good last year, you did well at this tournament. Like, if you're a good player. (laughs) I agree, and I think that that is kind of the bloop. It's so easy to say, but I do think that, and obvious, but I do think that harder courses um, tend to, it's harder to mask your flaws, right? They kind of, the cream rises to the top. That's why you see major championship leaderboards be so good. And every, anytime you have a course like this, where it's more difficult, it's longer, it's more of a ball strikers course where, uh, you can't really get away with as much. Um, I do think that a good way to go this week, whether it be betting is maybe picking a couple top dogs or, you know, we'll get into the DraftKings aspect of it. But I do think that there is a correlation where anytime you get a more difficult close, you're probably more likely to see a stronger leaderboard. Well, let's go to the DraftKings pricing. We'll go to the very top, the 10K plus range. And we're looking at Sammy Burns, number one in the DraftKings pricing at $11,100 over Scheffler, over Sungjae, over Tony Finau, over Matthew Wolf, who's 10-4, which kind of surprised me. Cam Smith, 10-2, and Tyrrell Atten, $10,000 on the dot. What are we doing with all of these guys? Because I swung and missed big time in the 10K range at Mayakoba. That was really why I ended up not having a great week on DraftKings, was I didn't have Hovland, I didn't have JT. I ended up going with the pair of Horschel and Hatton, because those are the two losers that I always go with. I'll probably go back to Hatton again this week, because, you know, I'm a sucker for punishment, and his long irons are really good. So that's the one part of his game that never really went away. It's been really difficult, because there's been no strokes gain data, like, you know, off the tee or approach in like a month's time. So while we can see results, we don't actually have that great of a sense of how these guys are playing or at least where they're generating their best strokes from or where they're losing strokes like for all i know tyrell hatton was number one t to green last week and you know three putted every single green i wouldn't know because they wouldn't show anything on tv so i can't even tune in to try to watch to scout it with my own eyes because even when they did show the actual coverage they only showed like three guys for the entire afternoon it was horrendous Either way, where are you going above $10,000? Because Sam Burns last year, now he's the highest-priced guy in the field. He was the only player inside the top 10 uh, of anyone in this tournament who lost strokes putting. And usually, Bermuda grass greens are his absolute jam. Yeah, Burns is going to be a tough guy to fade, but I I, th- I think we're aligned on Hatton, and, and that's surprising because I'm sure we'll disagree as the show goes on, as we usually do. But I think Hatton is the play here, man, and I think... I'm going to bet him probably at around, I think there was a 33 to one, but I also don't think that people are going to use him in DraftKings. It's, it's not necessarily a buy low situation on Hatton because the price really hasn't gone down that much. I don't think he's underpriced by any means in this spot, but you look at Hatton and I, he's a grinder. Like he's towards the top of the field and bogey avoidance and scrambling his mid irons. You mentioned haven't great long irons remain really he's got really good history on bermuda courses he won the api second recently at the meadow third at the heritage and some of his best results have also been on more difficult golf courses so hatton is probably my favorite DraftKings play in that range because i also don't think i think a lot of people are going to play burns i think a lot of people are going to play chef or coming off a good week and i think that guys kind of lower in that range like hatton and cam smith as well might be the good DraftKings play, in my opinion. Are you going to go with the Aussies in Texas narrative? That's always a fun one. We can just bet uh, Cam Smith and Mark Leishman and Jason Day and be on our way. Yeah, you know, I always... (laughs) 
I always push back on some of those things a little bit, but I do like Cam Smith for what it's worth here. He's probably him and Hatton and Finau. I like a little bit as well are probably the three guys that I would play in this range. Similar to Hatton. He rates out really well here. I like him on more difficult courses. I like him on Bermuda courses. He's towards the, the field bogey. It's pretty great iron player and he's going to hit you're going to hit your fair share of approaches from that 150 to 200 range and cam's been pretty good at that um coming off a ninth at the cj cut too which is kind of an only start of the year as you mentioned we're not in the swing thing so we don't have a ton of recent data to go on with these guys so you almost kind of have to lean a little bit more so on course fit and i just think hatton and smith are great fits for this course I would agree with you. The one I was really kind of eyeing down was Scheffler, because if he didn't have sort of a disastrous back nine on Sunday, like he was firmly in the mix last week. And I don't know like if there's much correlation between this course and that course. Maybe there is. It's not like you... When we look at the... We have one year of data from this course. I so don't look back at the Houston Open too much, but most of the guys that finished at the top of the leaderboard here last year just don't play Mayakoba, so how are you supposed to know? Ortiz has a first and a second, so maybe it does. Or maybe Ortiz just plays really well this time of year. Maybe being from Mexico, growing up in Texas, he just have a, has a lot of familiarity with these green types and the winds that can come in. I don't know. I think it's way too early to try to draw any sort of correlation based on one year of results. For all we know, this course plays way harder this year and the winning score is minus three or it plays way easier and the winning score is like minus 25. We don't really know <clears throat> until we have sort of, you know, four, five, six, maybe three, four years of data to at least give us a baseline that we can measure against here. But Scheffler, Texas guy, long off the tee, good short game. Why not? Is it just the price? Um, I, I kind of struggle sometimes with guys coming off of big contending weeks where they kind of just miss. Um, it's kind of sometimes there can be a little bit of a letdown spot, but if you look at how Sheffler rates out on this course, I do like it for him. He's plenty long off the tee. He's a very solid mid to long arm and he's a good success actually on more difficult courses. Obviously he is a Texas guy as well, as you mentioned. So he went UT. Um, so he should be pretty comfortable here and he's been, he's been fine on Bermuda as well. And he contended this year at, um, the concession, which is kind of the comp that I like the most for this course. So I, I like Scheffler here. I'm worried that he is going to garner a little bit, a lot of ownership. And yeah, I, I don't know if I love him at, I mean, do you still think that Scheffler at this point in his career on this course should be more expensive than Finau? No, I don't. But that's why I was thinking that they might push down his ownership. Obviously it's too early in the week to try to project any sort of ownership, but I mean, I objectively, I like Sungjae, Finau, and Wolf all better than Scheffler. That's why I was kind of drawn to him. It's like, huh, I wonder if everyone else is going to feel the same way. Because I think for the price point, for $200 more, people will just pay up for Burns. So I'm kind of torn on it. Maybe Sungjae is the guy that gets kind of left in the lurch at 10-7, although he has been playing fantastic. And we kind of know, like, Bermuda Grass, play Sungjae in. Well, there's only, I'm looking at it right now. There's only like 75 generated lineups. So it doesn't really mean <laughs> anything, but you're, you're kind of right. It's, it seems like, it seems like Burns is probably going, even with the price, I think people are still going to play Burns, which I understand he's a hard guy to fade right now, but it looks like, yeah, Hatton and um, Finau are kind of the pivots. Um, I understand the Sungjae thing as well. I think, 
Obviously, anytime Sungjae's on Bermuda, that's great. I think this course is kind of hard to comp. Like I said, I kind of like uh, concession, but I don't, Tom Doak doesn't design a lot of PGA tour courses, right? It, it, it's just a little bit, it seems a little bit different. I had, a, I had a difficult time finding comps, but more difficult Bermuda courses, Honda classic, Sung JM, um, you know, API, he's been great there too. That's another long Bermuda course. So yeah, I could definitely see Sung J. I think you kind of hit it with, I'm very interested to see how the ownership kind of filters out in this range and on a course where, um, I think this is really important to point out for DraftKings on a course where we don't have a lot of data on, and people are going to tell you, we know exactly how this course is going to play. Like you don't one year is too small of a sample size. I would not be shocked at all if the winning score was minus 20 last year uh, or this year, or if it was like minus six this year. Right. So I think it's a pretty good week to go to some pivots and not kind of play the guys that everyone is playing, because I think we may see some variance and the prevailing narratives that you're going to hear this week. I'm not so sure how much credence we should be putting into them. Since we don't have the very short-term stats from the past few tournaments, I went with a more long-term approach, past 75 rounds. When I look at it, Sungjae leaps off the page along with Hatton in terms of proximity from beyond 200 yards and scrambling, bogey avoidance, like you mentioned. So I think that those are going to be my top two plays. I am enamored. I mean, you know how much I like Matthew Wolf. This is a very expensive price. But it does seem like he's just back to being good Matthew Wolf. And if that's the case, he's... You could, I mean, Brooks is playing. He's the best player in this field. Whether he wants to try to play the, be the best player in this field is tough. Finau, Sungjae, but like, why is Scheffler better than Matthew Wolf? Matthew Wolf has accomplished way more already. He's younger and he's played on the tour for almost exactly the same amount of time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I put, I put them kind of in the same bucket. I think, uh, Wolf has had, I mean, Wolf had, Wolf got the closest to winning a major championship and he's obviously won on tour as well. I think Scheffler has kind of a larger body of work where he's had like a ton of top 15s in majors. He's had a ton of top 15 in FedEx cup playoff events and stuff like that. And I still think that people myself included a little bit are having a difficult time trusting Wolf. Like he's, he's gotten off to a really good start to start this year. Um, but obviously he is, more of a high variance player where it seems like he misses a lot more cuts than Scotty Scheffler. And obviously he had a bit of a prolonged absence last year, whereas during that time Scheffler was consistently playing well. So I do think if you want to look at like a larger sample size body of work, that's probably the reason why Scheffler is a little bit more trustable. Um, at this point to people. And maybe that's why the price is a little bit higher. But if you look at what Wolf is doing this year, it's been pretty phenomenal. So there's no reason to believe that he's not back. I agree. Yeah, he's had five starts or three starts during the swing season, 17th, second, and fifth so far. You know, you mentioned he has the win in his career. Uh, he has the second place at the U.S. Open. He was top five of the PGA Championship that year, and he went through mental health problems. And he had to take himself away from the game. And I would have to think that a lot of his struggles had to do with that before. And then he had an injury last year at the American Express, tried to play through it. Then he left golf for like six months, wasn't very good coming back. It seems like he's back now. So I think that I'm going to build 20 lineups this week. And the main three that I will be building around will be Sungjae, Wolf, and Hatton above $10,000. Then we drop down to the 9K range. 
Brooks is sitting right there at 9,900 in full disclosure. I bet Brooks at 30 to 1 earlier this morning. I have no idea if I'm going to take him on DraftKings or not. I'm leaning towards not. Almost like a Wolf situation where it's like, oh yeah, he'll be like top three or he's going to miss the cut is sort of how I'm feeling about Brooks right now. But the rest of them, Scott, Neiman, the Gooch, Wise, Ortiz, and then Patrick Reed. You could make a pretty valid case that Brooks and Reed are going to be the two lowest owned guys of the $9,000 range because I look at Neiman, 9500 bucks is a pretty good price for a guy that I think this suits really well, but I think I'm the most drawn to Adam Scott at $9,600. His irons are back. If he can just drive it a little bit and putt a little bit, he's going to be fire here. Yes. Adam Scott is my favorite as well. Wait, real quick, before I get into Scott, I think Brooks is going to be really popular this week. No, you don't think so? The, did you, Pat, did you know that he helped design this course? Yes. And uh, I've only seen people mock that from this time. And, like, I, even someone from like the PGA Tour tweeted at me, like who like works for the PGA Tour. Really? Like, yeah. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm betting Brooks that 30 to one. It's like, have you seen him play lately? It's like, no. I haven't paid attention to this stuff at all. It's like, it's a number. It's the same shit that people said to me in Phoenix. And I know a lot of us hit Brooks in Phoenix. Like, what is this number against this field? Let's just bet Brooks and hope he wins. And he won. I don't really care that he's missing cuts or looks like he's barely trying. I didn't bet Brooks last week because I looked at the rest of the field. It's like, oh, there's like legit guys here. This field is not full of legit guys. Brooks is objectively the best player in this field by a pretty substantial margin when everyone shows up to play like last week, you could say Hovland is better or I mean, JT is most certainly better than Brooks Kepka, especially on a consistency basis. Like there was enough real guys yet. It's the same number in a significantly weaker field. Yeah. Okay. So I'm totally with you on, on the betting Brooks side. I think he will actually garner more DraftKings ownership than we would expect or what the early numbers are showing because I'm just, and who knows, maybe it's my little Twitter echo chamber, but it seems like a ton of people share the same sentiment as you in terms of betting Brooks. And yeah, people but, just but, 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 but there's a big difference between betting Brooks and playing him on, on DraftKings. I feel like those are two separate conversations. And when you look at who else is in this 9K region, Neiman, gonna be chalk. Gooch, gonna be chalk. Wise, gonna be chalk. Ortiz, likely to be chalk. Like, that's just gonna take away from Brooks. I feel like people just play who they bet, right? No. they don't. No? I, I don't think that, I mean, maybe they do. I don't. Yeah, me neither. Not always. Uh, it kind of depends. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Brooks is kind of a... Like I said, I like the outright bet far more than I like the DraftKings play. You could be right. Maybe and the early numbers with with Fantasy National are showing that he is on the lower side in this range. So maybe you're right. I, I, I was kind of thinking that you combine the he played a hand in this course and the fact that he's going to be a popular bet with a lot of people this week, that he would be more popular on DraftKings as well, despite the volatility that's involved with Brooks. But you're right, man. Maybe I'll be more apt to uh, play him a little bit in DraftKings if the ownership is low. The thing that I'll say about Brooks is I watched him on the coverage on Friday. I, I watched all all of it from start to finish. Um, I get paid to watch golf now, so <laughs> it's it's fantastic. But uh, he objectively does not have a ton of control over his golf ball right now. Now, that's not to say that he can't flip a switch pretty quickly. Um, he Obviously, we saw what happened at the Phoenix Open and then same at the PGA Championship. He had terrible form coming into the PGA Championship and almost won that whole thing. I, I think what's interesting is he talked to... I. I 
I think it was some guy at Golf Digest. It might have been Rappaport where he was like, yeah, I'm grinding my ass off right now. Like I'm working really, really hard right now and I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to figure it out, right? So I do think that Brooks is very motivated right now to play golf. And he's talked about before, Sometimes on these easier courses like the Mayakoba, like we saw him at the Shriners or the CJ Cup, I think he said this last year at the Travelers, it might have been, where he was just like, yeah, they put these pins in the middle of the greens. It doesn't really require much thought, in my opinion. I think this course will have his attention. I think he will rise to the occasion here. And I think these types of more difficult tests kind of tend to inspire him and bring out the most in him. Whereas sometimes when it's a birdie fest, um, he can kind it seems like he can kind of lose interest if he's not shooting like 64. Um, so I, I, I think Brooks is, I think you have to, you almost have to bet him this week. DraftKings is a little bit of a different story, but yeah, I'm with you on that as well. I don't want to make it seem like he's going to be completely unowned on DraftKings, he'll probably be like, you know, between eight and 12%, something like that. But he's not going to be 22%, where I think that he'll probably end up no. with probably the most amount of bets on him of any player, or at least inside like the top three most bet players this week, just based on the number that you're getting that name at. Maybe we're just being sluts for the name. And we see the name, be like, oh yeah, he's way better than 30 to one or 33 to one, as you can find in some spots as well. So it's all out there. I, I haven't made a decision on DraftKings. I will be playing Adam Scott at 9,600, like I mentioned. Of the rest of the guys in the 9K range, which one do you think that you would go with? Because I can make a pretty good case for all of them. I'm just sort of, I'm not team not Gooch, but I feel like I haven't been on it enough when he's been putting up these big moments that I don't want to ruin it for everyone by jumping on the Gooch right now uh, and he ends up missing the cut. And like Wise, I've been on Ortiz. I almost play every single week. But Neiman's my guy, and I don't necessarily love him on Bermuda. I just don't. Yeah, he's way better on Ben. It's not like he hasn't had success on Bermuda for. I, he's played well at the Heritage. He's played well at the Valspar, but he's way better on Ben. So I'm with you on that. Um, probably Patrick Reed, to answer your question. I like Patrick Reed at a flat 9K. I still think people don't really trust him yet. I don't think that he's going to garner a lot of ownership. I like him as a bet as well. I think he's hovering around 45 to 1. But Reed and Adam Scott would be my two probably favorite plays. I, I think this is probably a good time to sell high on Aaron Wise and Taylor Gooch. I've been on those guys a ton as well, and they've done very well for me. Uh, but I think once you get into, like, they're in the 9,000s now, and it still looks like everybody is going to play them. So that's kind of an easy pass for me. I'd rather play Patrick Reed. It's, I think that I'm with you. I don't know. Like, Brooks and Patrick Reed, I do feel like are better bets than DraftKings plays. Although, if they win, obviously, you would want them in a DraftKings lineup. I don't want to say, I don't want to make it seem like that's not the case. It's just, I no, think. No, I that, know what you mean. Yeah. I, I, in case people don't know what I mean when I say that, that their outright win equity, if they're playing well, is so high. It's just their floor is essentially non existent at this point. Where someone likewise, now that he's like not the worst putter on tour somewhat consistent now at least through the swing season he has four really good finishes and four starts yeah Aaron Wise has been great I think there's a chance that you know every year one or two of these guys I think like Max Homo last year Harris English Corey Connors even a little bit they kind of level up uh right before our eyes and I think Gooch and Wise are kind of the two best candidates for that right now especially Wise once he figures out the putter like he's always been a really good ball striker I think you could probably make a case that his game suits better for more difficult courses like he's he hasn't ha really had a ton of success 
success in majors, but he's, he's played well at the PGA championship recently and had some success at quail hall, which is a more difficult course as well. So it's not to say that I don't think that these courses aren't good fits for Gooch and wise. I, I actually think they are, but it's, it's pretty price and ownership dependent um, on those guys with me. And I look at somebody like Reed and it's like, this guy is the king of more difficult tests. Like he, he wasn't great at the Mayakoba last week, but when have we ever needed Patrick Reed to have form to kind of justify playing him at a more difficult course? Well, if you look at it right now, strokes gained per just, if you take strokes gained total courses over 7,400 yards in this field, your top five are Brooks, Reed, Finau, Hoffman, and Jason Day. That's past 50 rounds. Luke List is actually sixth, which blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll get to Luke List. I do. Yeah, that's uh, that's not surprising to me, right? I think Reed, um, you know, he gets a knock for he's not long off the tee by any means. But what I tend to prefer looking at it, you seem to be in the same vein. Is like, don't look at how long a player is off the tee because there's certain players that they may not be very long off the tee, but they perform really well on long par fours. They perform really well on longer courses. And for whatever reason, maybe it's because he has a great short game. Patrick Reed just tends to perform very well on long courses. Um, this is obvious one of those this week. So yeah, I think Reed is a great option here. Um, anytime you're on a longer and more difficult course, I think Reed and probably Kepka and, and Adam Scott, I'm with you as well, are kind of the guys that, that I have most interest in. If we shrink the sample down to past 24 rounds, essentially all it does, which kind of surprised me, is it gets rid of Jason Day, because obviously he doesn't get to draw on <laughs> events from six years ago kind of thing. But it's now Brooks, Griot, Reed, Luke List, Leishman, Charlie Hoffman, Aaron Wise. So Aaron Wise does play, and Gooch is up there as well yeah. uh, on these longer courses. Then you have like Neiman and Bramlett, Sungjae, Ryan Palmer, Kyle Stanley, Sammy Burns. Finau drops a little bit. So I, I, if we do think this, and I think you have to pick your lane. I'm not saying that it is going to play quote-unquote difficult, but that's the lane that I'm going to pick to choose my guys from. So these are the sort of players that I want to work into my mix. I'm really surprised to see Charlie Hoffman up there, though. Yeah, he's kind of been a little bit lost lately. So that's that's a little bit surprising, especially I guess if you're looking at 7,400 yard courses, I guess the sample size Texas. will go back a little bit. We're talking yeah. about Texas. Tech. Texas too, as well for, for big Hoff. Yeah. That's not surprising. I mean, all the guys that you just mentioned, Pat hit their long irons really well, Gooch and wise included. So I think there are going to be a lot of approaches over 175 yards plus this week. So you could do a whole lot worse than kind of looking at those players that perform well on long par fours, long courses and hit their long irons. Well, I'm with you. You know, when you're searching online for that stuff that, uh, you don't want others knowing about, well, I I know most of you are probably thinking, why don't you just use incognito mode? But let me tell you something. Incognito mode does not actually hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. That's why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter who your service provider is. ISPs in the United States can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure services so your ISP can't see the sites that you visit. 
ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background and it's so easy to use. All you gotta do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash mayo, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash mayo expressvpn.com slash mayo to learn more. Let's take a break because I need to tell you about a brand new HeadGum podcast called The History of Heat presented by StockX. The hilarious Yasser and Isaiah Lester are brothers and comedic writers who love everything that's considered heat. If you're wondering what heat is, well, heat is what's cool, whether it's sneakers, art, skate decks, streetwear, even video games. Every episode, Yasser and Isaiah are joined by guests like Langston Kerman, Vashti Kola, Steve Barrett, to name a few, to discuss and share never-before-heard stories about some of the most hype and influential brands. They'll talk about everything from Nike to Marvel to Supreme to Crocs and Travis Scott collabs. Powered by real-time data and insights from StockX, the global marketplace for authentic current culture products, History of Heat dissects the past, present, and future of all things heat. If you're a fan of our show, be on the lookout for their episode on nostalgia, which takes a step back into Yasser and Isaiah's favorite sneakers from the past and how re-releases have influenced our lives to date, featuring comedian Langston Kerman. So subscribe to the History of Heat podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and be on the lookout for new episodes every Thursday. Are you a part of uh, Team Twitter who just loves Maverick McNeely? Um, I've picked my spots with Mav. I don't really know if I'm going to be able to get to him this week. I I like him on the West Coast a lot. I like him on shorter courses like the Heritage and Pebble Beach. And uh, Fortinet was another short course that he played really well on. I think he's fine here. I mean, he he's actually turned into a really great off the tee guy. And I do think that you need to drive. He's playing long off the tee as well. And I do think that you need to drive the ball well to have some success here, but he kind of fits into that same, but are we going into the eights now? Oh yeah. We're in the eights. Cause I, he, okay, was, cool. he was, he was essentially besides Leishman, the only guy I really wanted to talk about, I guess Max Homa at 8,000, but he kind of fits with the Brooks and Reed where he's going to win or come in dead last. Yeah. So like Seamus power right now, what is Mav McNeely doing better than Seamus power? Like Seamus power is doing everything well. And it's, it's, I talked about this on my podcast last week. If you look at the numbers with Seamus power, the bandwagon that like Mito has received, I'm really shocked that Seamus power hasn't become like the fantasy darling. He's really good. Yeah, he's okay. He tends to pile up a lot of these numbers in weaker field tournaments, which you can make a very good case that this is. And 
Mito is always going, like, when I ran the modeling, Mito's number one, and he's been number yeah, one. Anyone who runs any sort of stats analysis is going to tell you that Mito is awesome because the numbers say that he's awesome. Uh, just the results don't necessarily match what he's up to. I mean, I went through this for years with Luke List, where I would just run the numbers like, oh, yeah, Luke List is the fourth best player in this field. People do it with Grio every single week. Now, I think that Kyle, Mito, Stan- Kyle Stanley is another one. Like, if you de emphasize putting, although Mito's not like a terrible putter by any means, it's just he's so young that he's going to have inconsistency and blowups and it's really hard to win on the pga tour uh and i think that he's the fact that he's not like how old seamus power like 32 or something like that like seamus has been around Mito's like the hot new thing yeah that's a good point um i i, I think that hang on i was just i got caught up looking at uh looking at the age what do you what do you think about um lowry at 82 yeah i'm in yeah, Lowry was going to be the other guy. Once you started saying longer, more difficult courses, that's like the, the Shane Lowry jam. Okay, yeah, me too. What about Bezaden now? No. Pass. Just can't, just can't drive the ball well enough. It's just he's 8700 bucks. I'd rather play Lowry at 82. Like when I after Bezaden Hout wasn't able to get it done at Bermuda, I, I was going to shake you on old Christian. <laughs> Okay. I'm, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think Lowry's probably my favorite guy here. I just, he's great on difficult courses. He's had, uh, he's had some good success on Bermuda as well. I just think this is a good spot for Lowry. And I was very surprised to see him priced at 8,200. He missed the cut. I, I know he hasn't been great so far this year. Like he didn't, he wasn't great at the CJ cup. And he, I think he missed the cut on the number at the Mayakoba, but it's not like he's in bad form by any means. Like his third prior start to this, he finished fourth at a European tour event. So I think Lowry's probably my favorite play in the eights. I would say it's Leishman, Lowry, and then probably Mav McNeely. But I don't even know if I'm going to play Mav McNeely. I'm definitely playing Lowry. I'm definitely playing Leishman. I'd love to play Kokrak, but he has been brutal for like two months. Yeah, I'm out on Kokrak too until further notice. I just, I, I can't really get there. I think he's been priced down now enough that you could make a case as like a leverage play if, if nobody's going to go there. Sure. But no, I, I would rather play guys like Shane Lowry, who I think aren't going to garner a lot of ownership themselves and are cheaper. What, what do you think about Henley? Nah, pass. I think so too. It's too expensive. Yeah. 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 I'm going to pass on Henley too. Yeah, like Henley is fine if he was 82, but now that he's 89 where I could find the money to get, I, like he's very much in that same boat as Wise and Gooch, except those guys are playing much better than him, and they're only like two hundred dollars more. Why wouldn't I just go to them? Yeah, I I agree. I'm I'm good on Henley as well. All right, let's drop into the seven Ks because these upper sevens, I assume, are going to get pretty chalky pretty quickly because the aforementioned Mito is right there, who screams good play although he's kind of lost his mojo just a tiny bit uh coming into play but you can always rebound harold verner's there the two guys i like weirdly one i mean i like brennan grace i'm always gonna play brennan grace hardcore's bermuda greens brennan grace okay sign me up 76 to 1 i think he's 80 to 1 in the betting market that sounds like something that i'm going to end up betting the other one is mac hughes there's only two things that mac hughes does well it's hit a long iron and putt that's it only two things Okay, so the first bet that I made this week was Brandon Grace. I got him at 90 to 1, but I think this is a great spot for Brandon Grace. He's 
got a really good short game. He's above average in bogey avoidance and scrambling. He's not the best long iron player, but again, he still performs well on long courses and difficult courses. He's been good on Bermuda, and he just finished seventh at the Zozo as well, which again, we don't have strokes gained for, but when he has played, Grace has proven that he has a lot of elite upside. Like he finished fourth at the Memorial, seventh at the U.S. Open, second at the Wyndham on Bermuda, seventh at the Zozo. Again, these are all uh, in his last like 10 to 12 starts where he has that top kind of five top 10 upside. And I guess you could make a case that he's a bit more risky as a DraftKings play because he's definitely prone to the occasional miscut. But I just think there's a really good spot for him. Um, he's won the Heritage on Bermuda. Uh, like I said, Wyndham. He's just, he's been great in majors and more difficult conditions. Um, so I, I think this is a perfect spot for Brandon Grace. And then uh, you mentioned Hughes, like, I like Hughes as well. You look at what Hughes has done recently and the places that he's popping up at is like the British Open, the US Open. Um, he did play really well at the Zozo, which obviously isn't the best comp for this, but that proves that he has good, pretty solid recent form as well. So I think Hughes is another guy. And he, he's, again, he's never, anytime you're plugging a bunch of ball striking stuff into a model, Hughes isn't going to pop. But if you start to look at things like bogey avoidance and scrambling, he's actually pretty elite. So I agree with uh, with Hughes. And if you get bonus points for just mysteriously chipping in or making 80-foot putts, you play in one of those DraftKings leagues, all of a sudden, he's like the number one guy in the pool. I was looking at EVR as well. The, the numbers love EVR, but I never like EVR, so I can't really wrap my mind around that. Do you have any sort of opinion on him? Uh no, I, I don't think that I'm I don't think that I'm going to go to EVR. He rates out okay here. Like I like that he's long off the tee. I like that he's very, very good from 170 yards plus. I, I think you can make a case this is a good spot for him, but no, I, I I don't think that I'm going to be able to get there. He's a hard guy to trust. I will play Mito. Like I, I think that um the shine is a little bit off him right now. And I think you could also make the argument that. Uh, this is probably the best spot for him that we've seen in the fall swing. If you really think about with me, you know, um, he's probably better suited harder horses than he is for birdie fest because his power has a difficult time catching up sometimes. And I, I just think that, you know, now he's 7,700 and I don't think he's going to garner a lot of ownership. Basically just had one terrible round at the Mayakoba. Like he shot a 77, I think in the second round at the Mayakoba. And a lot of that came on the back nine after he had kind of just mailed it in and missed the cut. So I think this is a pretty good bounce back spot for Mito. My only concern is the early results show that he may be uh, kind of in that Neiman mold where he's just so much better on bet than he is Bermuda. Yeah, but that's a, that's such a small sample, though. Like, how many events yeah. are we actually looking at here? Like, eight? Well, Corn Ferry, too. A lot of his Corn Ferry success was bent as well. Yeah, but, but uh, it's, how, the point how, still but, holds. Okay, well, hold on. If he had a lot of Corn Ferry success on bent, did he have no success on Bermuda? Was he just not playing Bermuda? How did that work? Uh, I would have to give a deeper dive on that to give a full answer. No, I, I, I agree. I think it's too small of a sample size. I think that again, we're looking at a very short, uh, period of time with a guy on PGA tour courses as well. I don't, I, I looked into this before when I was trying to figure this out and I noticed that all his most of his best results were on bent, but again, I mean, it's, it's too small. It's, it's definitely too small of a sample size. So I, I like me though. 
Going with Vegas, because you got Vegas, Captain Ramius. He's right there at 7500 bucks. The only one, actually two, that I was looking at. Maybe I could be talked into Ari Iggs, but Danny Willett at 72 on this type of course seems like a good buy. And I like my guy Pendrith. Was good in Bermuda, sucked at Bayacoba. This does feel like a course where he would be better at, though. Yeah, I mean, Pendrith bombs it off the tee. I, I think that's probably the big, the best thing that he is going for him right well, now. He's well, not. Well, he sucks with his irons. He bombs it. He's a good putter, and he's pretty good around the greens. It's just it's his mid irons, which are terrible. But like, even if you look at proximity from beyond in a very small sample, but even when he was able to light it up on the corn ferry tour, like he's pretty good with a long iron in his hand or a wood in his hand. It just put a seven iron in his hand. He's an absolute train wreck. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. You're right. He's got a pretty good short game. There's no reason to believe that he can't play well well here at this type of course. Again, I think you could make kind of a case that some of these guys like Pendrith, um, great off-the-tee players, maybe uh, are even better suited for – it's not like Pendrith's a bad putter by any means. He's actually been gaining pretty well since coming on to the PGA Tour. So, yeah, I like Pendrith as well. I was looking at C.T. Pan a little bit. Like, he's – no – he, I Not mean, for me. this was a I guy. Mean, sell me on him. Go ahead. Okay. I mean, he was, this was a guy that everyone was going crazy over a couple weeks ago. And what happens? He has, he lets everyone down as chalk at, at the Zozo. And then he's, he's fine at, at, um, last week at the Mayakoba. I just, he rates out pretty well for me. He's pretty solid across the board in, in, a lot of things that I'm looking at. He doesn't really have a ton of glaring weaknesses. He's really good from 150 to 200 yards. And he's won at the heritage before on Bermuda. He finished set. He's, he's done really well uh, on Bermuda at the Wyndham, the Honda, all those courses. And I get that the vast majority of his good results are on kind of shorter and positional courses, but he also has finished runner up before at Torrey Pine. So I do think that he possesses kind of all the end played great at the masters as well so i do think he kind of possesses all of the tools to succeed on this type of course and i don't think a lot of people are playing on playing him so that would be my that would be my only pan case uh, i think i would rather go to griot or poulter as sort of shorter course that all in that style of play granted his tory pines and his masters like high finishes were 100 percent putting based he gained like yeah. at the Masters that year when he came seventh, he gained like thirteen strokes putting or something just completely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that that that's that's very fair. I'm looking at Tory Pines too. I think he was like plus six there as well. So yeah, I mean he's not short off the tee by any means though, and he's not. Uh, he's a good mid to long arm player as well. So I, I I do think that he can have success on this course, but I uh, I hear that. Uh, I also like Ryan Palmer at 7,100 bucks. Obviously, Texas narrative aside, beyond that, like he's he's very good on these style of courses. He hits it a ton, and he's been playing a lot better recently. Like, not great by any means, but he seems to be out of his funk. Uh, he was okay at Zozo. He was better at Mayakoba, and he's really good from like 200 plus. So I might actually, Amazing. Bet, I might actually bet Ryan Palmer as well. I think he's like 150 to one or something crazy. Yeah, Palmer is actually number one over his last 36 rounds from 200 yards plus. And, and his game is starting to come back a little bit. You're right. So, yeah, I think that once you get down here, some of these, like Ches, Ches Reavy still rates out really well for yeah. me. Okay. Let's take, let's take a hard pass on old Ches. In, in, okay, unless, about, there's, unless there's like a triple bogey bonus, then I'm all in. 
What about uh, what about Cameron Davis at at seventy four hundred? Are we just going all in the Aussie? If we're going all Aussie narrative, then yes, I will buy it. But what else can we point to for Cam Davis? Uh, he's long off the tee and a good long iron player. His recent form just kind of sucks right now. Like, wouldn't Vegas be the better version of him right now? Yeah, Vegas has better form. He did miss the cut last week. I think it was just on the number, but yeah, Vegas would be a better version of that. I actually, I actually like Chad Ramey. Um, like I, I, I bet him at the Bermuda and he was, he had the first round lead. And then I think he finished like T 17. I think Chad Ramey's good. Um, I don't think we have enough data on him to determine like what he is good at. Um, but it seems like he's a pretty decent mid to long iron player. So, and kind of well-rounded across the board. So I think you could go to Ramey. Is Day just completely unplayable at this point, you think? I mean, I played Rose last week. So who am I to say who's unplayable and who's not unplayable? Well, listen, if you, he was top 10 at this tournament last year, I think. He, he has played well in Texas in the past. He still hits it a ton. He can get as hot as anyone with the putter when it's going, right? Like, it's not... You can make a case for Jason Day. It's just not the case that I'm buying. Like, you, so it's someone else's case. They can have it. They can play Jason Day. I'm not playing him. But I don't think it's the most outrageous play in the world. Yeah, and even Rose. Like, I played Rose last week, too. And remember, he finished, like, top 10 at the Wyndham. He finished sixth i think at the european bmw pga with day i just you don't even know if he's healthy is the thing that's the issue yes that's not great anyone else in the sevens we want to go to or should we go to the sixes let's go to the sixes luke list yeah he's my favorite play in the sixes yeah does that i mean this happens all the time i think that everyone has objectively looked at this and said luke list great play that usually means you shouldn't play that guy on DraftKings. just bet him He's 150 to one. I bet him at 150 to one. I think that I might just bet him and fade him on DraftKings. You think he's going to be super popular? Yes. Okay. Interesting. That yeah. If that's the case, then I will be right there with you. I understand the popular. I mean, I, he rates out great for this course. He obviously still sucks at putting, but he actually what kind of separates List a little bit um, from some of the bad putters is that he has a really good short game, um, and you know, obviously he hits the ball the mile. He's an absolutely elite long iron player who just pounds a ton of greens and regulation. I was hoping that maybe we'd see a little bit of break on the ownership because like he's coming off a missed cut at the Mayakoba. It's not like he played well last week, but again, prior to that, he finished seventh at the Zozo. Again, it's kind of tough to tell where less game is at because his last two tournaments didn't have shot tracker. Um, but I do like him on this course. There's a guy right below him. That is my other favorite play though. That's Sahith Tigala. Why do you like Tigella? Like he is someone who started off hot, has not been good the last two times out. Okay, hold on. Let me give you my Tigella stuff. So, I, first of all, again, same thing I just said with Ramey, right? Like we don't have a large enough of a sample size to really get a great profile on these guys. But the data that we do have on Sahith. Really well-rounded player, it seems like. Good ball striker, but he also has an awesome short game and putter. He's a lead at avoiding bogeys, great scrambler, plenty long off the tee, 
fine long iron player. Again, like the same case that we've talked about with power and with Mito, all these guys are doing it against weaker fields. So again, we still need to see a little bit more, but I actually think similar to Mito looking at Sahith stuff, he may be better suited for more difficult courses, kind of for different reasons. Like he just has a really good um, short game, but you're right. He's coming off a 74th at the Bermuda where he basically, I I remember because I bet him at the Bermuda and played him at the Bermuda. He just had a terrible final round where he shot like 77 in that crazy win and prior to the that miscut at the shriners pretty good eighth at the sanderson farms like every measured start he has this year he's gained over a stroke off the tee and a stroke on approach so you know last time he was on bermuda he gained three point he gained three strokes putting and contended at the sanderson so i I do think that he's somebody that you might want to look at on more difficult courses and again i I just like i don't think a lot of people are going to play him i think it's a pivot how about i guess he's seven thousand, but keith mitchell is down there isn't he like luke list who's actually won on the pga tour yeah and you pops up as well on bermuda all the time as well i could i could be talked into mitchell i mean what what's mitchell at seven thousand oh seven thousand he's a hundred dollars he's a hundred dollars more than list Lee Westwood is playing this week. Yeah, so is Graham McDowell. So is Ian Poulter. So is Brant Snedeker. So is Francesco Molinari, who I swear to God, I opened up the PGA app on Thursday last week, and he was five under, and I was like, oh my God, here here comes Molinari, and I think he missed the cut. So I don't know what happened to him. He missed the cut. Um, I played I played Norlander and Domin last week, and and they both finished like T35. I think they're fine here. Um, Adam Shank has been playing okay. Martin Laird, I like a little bit. Yeah, I mean, these, it's once you get down here, I think List and Thigal are my favorites. Uh, there's a couple more once we get really low that I like, but I think in this kind of range, the guys that I would be looking at are List and Thigala. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I'm going to go, I, I mean, I'll make a decision on list that will depend on ownership. I have bet him yeah, at 150 too. to 1 with the top five each way, so I'm not sweating it too much. If he does well, I'll win a ton of money. It's okay. Even if he comes third, I'll win a ton of money. So you, know, you guys can have your DraftKings list. I'll have my top five list. That might be the way that this has to end up going. I will play Hudson Swafford, who just continues to produce <laughs> relatively mediocre results, but he keeps making cuts. He still has yet to have like a huge putting week. I mean, the stats aren't there, but you know when Hudson Swafford's like playing okay, the putts just aren't quite dropping for him. Uh, so I do like him a lot here at his price point. I just think that he's someone who can make the cut. After that, like by the numbers, if you just scroll down to the bottom, Duffner, Svensson, and Sam Ryder all rate out incredibly well for me. That's terrifying. And then you have like two losers who I love to play. One is Bramlett and the other one is Trey Mullinex, uh, who I think could both really fit well on this type of course. But do I want to go down this low, I guess? I would I would play Duffner at 62. I I think I am going to and I've been more of a fan of him on kind of shorter and positional courses, but he actually rates out pretty well for me here as well. Like he's 
pretty good short game above average in bogey avoidance and scrambling really, really good from 125 to 200 as well. Like absolutely elite from 175 to 200. So, and Bermuda has historically been his best surface and it's not like he hasn't experienced success before on more difficult courses. He won a major at Oak Hill. Um, so I, I like Duffner at 62. I, I think once you kind of get past the point of like, Oh, you want to play him on all of these shorter courses, he still rates out pretty well here. I think, at 6,200, you could make a decent case for him. That's probably like the, like, that's probably the only guy, or I guess he's 6,300. Sorry. That's probably the only guy down here that I have a lot of faith in. I mean, and faith is a relative term. Like Hank Lebby is Hank Lebby still rating out well for you because he's still rating out well for me, but he's missed like six cuts in a row. Uh, no. Well, he rates out 39th in this field for me, but I do have putting weighted. And he's still third in that metric. And that's how he was really doing it when he was on his run. He made every putt. Yes, 100%. And with that is kind of the reverse example of Kyle Stanley, where he still rates out very well for me, but I've learned my lesson. Sung Kang in Texas? Is that a thing? He won in Texas. <laughs> oh, that's a good... Okay, yeah. He, yeah, I mean, I'll, eh, I think I'd probably... Down here, I think my favorites are... Oh, Fratelli's 6,600. Fratelli sucks. <laughs> and that's not like uh, he, me he just... went to Texas. It's not just me projecting onto Dylan Fratelli. That's just looking at his results, being like, oh, yeah, he's not good. Yeah, although the one case that I would make is that he randomly pops up at really hard courses like the British Open and the Masters. Um, maybe this brings out the best in him, but... Yeah, I don't know. What about any, like, are you playing like Steven Yeager or or Davis Riley or any of these guys? No, I think if I was going to play one of them, like I said, I like just the, if I'm going to play like a bomb and gouge type narrative, have that distance. I think that Mullinex and Bramlett are pretty decent options for their price point. If you do want some upside, they're very highly likely to miss the cut. But Andrew Landry has two top tens in his past three starts. He's won in Texas before. He tends to play well at like kind of hard courses. He's a two-time winner on the PGA Tour. Seems like he has a bit of form at the moment. I don't think he's the craziest play here. Probably not. The fourth at the Sanderson was actually was I shouldn't say it was all putting because he actually hit the ball really well too. He just he's one of those guys where it doesn't it doesn't really feel like an Andrew Landry course, but I mean, how many of these guys down here are uh have kind of the upside that Landry has shown recently. I, I there's not basically. And and he won the Valero in Texas at a longer course when he beat my guy Trey Mullinex. Uh it was not the strongest field. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean all all these guys down here like uh, it's tough. I mean, what are you seeing in Svensson? Nothing. Nothing. I I played Svensson at the Fortnite I, the, listen, the numbers make him look like he's fucking Tiger Woods, but I, I'm just not buying it. Put it that way. Yeah, I don't think I'm buying it either. Nick Watney pops up a little bit recently. Yeah, no? listen, this isn't 2008. Yeah. Jeez, they, they, wow. Some of these guys down here. Wait, the, you do the Brooks double and play plug Chase in at 6K. I forgot Chase was playing. Isn't Hasn't Chase been like pretty good like making cuts? Uh, let me look. I don't, I don't think he gets a lot of opportunities to play. Let's see. He, but, played, he, well, he had three starts last year, 30th at Honda, 63rd miscut. Yeah. So Honda, that's Bermuda, more difficult Bermuda course. Valspar, also Bermuda. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I'm probably not going to play him, but you know, who knows? 66,000. Kramer Hickok. Yeah, now you're, now, now, now you're doing a Feinberg, just naming names. You're going to play any of these guys or what? Or you just want to say no. their names? No, I'm not. I'm not going anyone below Duffner, probably. Okay, and like if you could play Chase Kepka for six thousand bucks, you can legit play. Let's see here, Bramlett at sixty-two or Trey Mullenix at sixty-two, who are like significantly better players, or just play Landry, who like has legit won two PGA Tour events. Like Haggy's there too. I don't know if I can quite get to him, but he's sort of the profile that I would want here. He hits it a ton. The short game is not a complete disaster. Another one who showed up at Honda can putt really well on Bermuda. Two of his best performances came at Honda and the American Express. Um, two Bermuda courses. So, I mean, I, maybe there's Poa in the greens at Amex, but I think it actually is Bermuda for being a West Coast course. Anyway, I think those are the yeah. lower end options that you might want to go with. Betting-wise, before we get out of here, because I've taken up an awful lot of your time, and I know that you have your own show to go record, which everyone, tell everyone where they can listen to your show before we get into the bets. Yeah, absolutely. Inside Golf Podcast, uh, eight new episodes come out every Tuesday. I'll probably pick up the, uh, I'll probably pick up the Solo Sunday show as well once I kind of get my feet under me at this new job, but that'll probably come back in January. But for now, yeah, go sub Inside Golf Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you find all your podcasts it's it's there and yeah it's a great show if you like this one you'll like you'll like inside golf pod as well thanks pat yeah no problem i am betting brooks kepka 30 to 1 and then i have four guys 75 and above that i have money on already Brennan grace with the top five each way at 75 to 1 ryan palmer 100 to 1 with the top five each way danny willett 125 to 1 with the top five each way luke list 150 to one with the top five each way when i release the cheat sheet in the newsletter i might go back up to not necessarily the top of the board but i'm really eyeing down hatton at 33 and scott at 33 i think those would be the two places where i potentially go though the patrick reed at 40 is just staring at me that i might be even able to find a better number on that uh, and potentially i can go there as well what am i seeing as the best read number it's 33 here that's not so great like Lowry would be in that mix. It's just whoever has the best odds of those guys would probably end up being my other top end player. I might just say, screw it. I'll take these bombs and take Brooks and that will be the end of my day. Yeah. So I'm, I'm betting Hatton at 31. I'm betting Scott at 36, Lowry at 46 and Grace at 90. And that final slot is either going to be Brooks or Reed. Okay. I, I think you could make it. I think you can make a decent case for either of them. Yeah, I'm just trying to play the the old each way game this week. It worked for me last week. I've now, instead of having five winners in seven events, I have five second place finishes in seven events. I was telling this to Paul yesterday because we cashed pretty well with Neiman and Ortiz and the the top six finishes that they had. But like, just flip three of those winners. I don't need all five of them. Flip two of them. Flip three of them to me, and I have a ton of money for this swing season. Instead, it's just like, man, I'm just relying on each ways to keep me afloat. It sucks. Well, that's not a bad strategy to go with is the each way thing. And look, it just proves there's so much volatility in terms of outright golf betting. I think it proves that you're seeing the board well and your process is sound. I think, the, I think the winners will come. I've had a ton of, I've had a ton of seconds and thirds recently as well. I had JT last week um, that he just lost it completely on Sunday. And I mean, there's, there's countless examples. Every, everyone knows, but um, yeah, I, I think, I think it'll come, man. I, this week, I, I think, I think we, what, what did I think Brandon grace, right? Is Brandon grace the only guy that both of us said we were on at this point? Let's see it. Brandon grace. 
Yeah, let's have it. Brandon Grace or Danny Willett? Because I guarantee you Feinberg is betting Danny Willett because that's what we do. Hey, this is almost close to the Danny Willett buys us uh, a wedding type of odds here. 125 to 1? Let's go. Let's have it. Anyway. I bet I bet, I bet. bet you Feinberg's real reckless this week coming off that Hoffman win. <laughs> yeah, that's usually when he does his best work, though. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, it was such a... He got killed with uh, with football the weekend that we were hanging. I think with the uh, I did the same thing with uh, the Cowboys where or the Vikings where you get like six points of closing line value on the Vikings and you still lose. That's never fun. No, not very fun. Happened to me again. I had the Niners at plus one point five. It closed at minus five point five, and I lost the bet. Yeah, that's never a, never a good one. Uh, I got bailed out on Sunday because basically all my money was on the Chargers money line and they won. So I was happy about that. They should have won by like 50, but they didn't and because they were the Chargers. Uh, so I was sweating that one out hard as the later set of games came to their conclusion. Yeah, me too. I was glad that was one of those where like, I think you talked about this a little bit on your Friday show too, is the line was so low. And I thought that the Chargers should be favored by like four or five that I I ended up taking it. But I was like, why is this line so low? And then the game starts and you're like, oh, is it really going to be one of these games? But luckily they pulled it through. Maybe the Chargers have a kicker now, which which would be fantastic news for our, for our friend Jeff. Well, he still missed an extra point in that game. But here we are. <laughs> Andy Lack. The score, go check him out. You can find him on Twitter as well, along with this podcast. Thank you so much, Andy, for being on. Thanks so much, Pat. Anytime, my friend. One more golf tournament to go in the 2021 season, which will be the first time ever I have done a show for every event of the season. So hopefully I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I think I can figure it out for the RSM, formerly known as the Viking Classic, if people do remember that. That's how long I've been doing these shows for, when the Viking Classic was a thing. So we'll round out the season next week. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo to get 20% off for all the stats, the lineup generator, the ownership percentages, the tournament simulator. It's all up that. Cheat sheet for DraftKings will be up on DK Nation. Cheat sheet for betting will be in the newsletter, so go sub to that now. Sub to the channel, smash the like, and I think I've ran out of things to plug, so I should probably let you be on your way. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!